passage this morning is Leviticus 13, verses 12 through 17. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. It has all turned white. He is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean. For the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if, and indeed, if the sore has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore. He is clean. Let's pray. O great Lord of all, O heavenly Father, O Lord that is the great physician, the one that is able to treat and take care of all sicknesses, the one that gives life and breath and every good thing. Father, we come before you this morning, before this passage, before the discussion, before your word. We do cry out to you, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us to have ears to receive that which you have for us, the instruction, the correction, the understanding. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us, that you would help Jonathan as he preaches, as he proclaims your word, as he helps to instruct us in how we are to live as priests and our duties and obligations before you. Father, we do pray that you would you would bless us in our hearing, that you would cause us to see things rightly, that you would help us to understand the clean and the unclean. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us, that you would help us to be more faithful unto you, that you would help us on this day to, to consider where you have us and the reasons that you have us here. Father, we pray that you would, would instruct us now. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would wash your, this congregation in the water of your word. We pray your blessing on this service now. In Jesus' name. It is good to be in this text with you today. This is one of those texts that, if you had your choice, if you were just doing topical sermons, who would ever decide to preach about this? And yet, here we are, because it's in the Bible. It's like, like we talked about last week, we're in the two longest back-to-back chapters in all of Scripture, and they're all talking about leprosy. So God obviously cares a lot about this and all the minutia and all the details. There's a lot for us to learn here. I just want to remind us of a few things from last week. 
that the word leprosy that we see through chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus, that, that the literal translation of that is scourging. The literal meaning of that is scourging. And we're supposed to think of leprosy as God doing something. Leprosy is God acting in the lives of men and women in order to make himself known, in order for them to understand things about themselves. Before we get into this text, though, I want to go through and I want to do, I want to do, if you will, a survey of all of the cases of leprosy that are talked about in the Bible. You're going to get them all this morning. And you know, you know all of these stories already. These are all some of the most famous Sunday school stories. They're some of the, they're some of the hardest stories. They're some of the best stories. They're some of the funniest stories. But as we go through these, I think it's going to really set us up for not only dealing with this text, but with the rest of the text as we work our way through Leviticus 13 and 14. And so we're going to cover all of them. There's a handful in the Old Testament. There's a handful in the New Testament. This is something that God talks about both in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So let's be systematic about this. First thing. The first time that we see leprosy show up in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 4. And this is Moses when he's standing before God at the burning bush. And God is giving him his charge to go in and talk to Pharaoh, ask Pharaoh to free the people. And Moses is saying, I'm not, not me. And so God says, let me give you some signs. And so one of the signs he has is he's supposed to throw down his staff and his staff turns into a snake and then he picks up, you know, grabs the tail of it and it turns back into a staff. But the next sign that he's given is he's supposed to put his hand into his cloak, into his bosom. And when he takes his hand out of his bosom, this happens right there at the burning bush. He takes his hand out of, out of his bosom. It is white as snow. It's turned leprous. And then he puts his hand back into his cloak, takes it back out, and his flesh is restored as the rest of his flesh. This is the first case of leprosy that we have recorded in the Bible. And it's a significant case to, to study for a couple of reasons. First of all, it sort of sets the tone for how we are supposed to think about all of the other cases of leprosy because it has both the elements. Whenever you see somebody in the Bible who gets leprosy, when you see them getting leprosy, it's a miracle of God. And any time in the Bible you see somebody being healed of leprosy, it's just like this. It's a miracle of God. And also, this is a sign to a Gentile that there is a God. So that's the first case. And then we don't see any other cases of leprosy until after this passage in Leviticus, where God's giving all the laws for how the priests are to examine and deal with leprosy. We don't see any cases of it until, and we talked about this one last week, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron have decided that they want to rebel against Moses. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Aren't, aren't we all prophets? There's a little bit of irony with this particular case. Because, and it, it specifically talks about them speaking against Moses for marrying an Ethiopian. And presumably, this Ethiopian woman that Moses is married to is dark-skinned. So they're speaking out against Moses for marrying an Ethiopian. 
And then God comes and God rebukes them. And when the cloud lifts, Miriam is left white as snow. So do you see a little bit of the irony here? Do you see what God's doing with that? It's like, you're going to point out skin color. You're going to make a big deal about that. Look at how I can act. Again, this is one of those cases where we see somebody get leprosy. And it's an act of God. It's a specific act of God on somebody as a judgment for a specific sin. Deuteronomy 24. Anytime you're at the end of Deuteronomy, you realize that this is, these are the things that Moses is saying at the end of his life. He is giving his last commands to the people. He's giving the don't forget all of the things that I've told you. Deuteronomy 4 references this event. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember that the Lord your God, what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. So the Israelites are supposed to remember this event, and they're supposed to do what the priests tell them, which is everything that we're looking at here in Leviticus 13 and 14. And they have this vivid example. And remember, we talked about this last week. In Leviticus 13 and 14, this is God speaking to Moses and Aaron, and the first time that they're going to have to apply anything that's said here in Leviticus 13 and 14 is to their own sister. The next case of leprosy that we see is 2 Kings 5. It's what Noel had Noel read for us this morning. And it's two cases. It's Naaman the Syrian and then Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. And I think that this is a really interesting story. There's so many things going on in this story that are just fascinating to me. The, the, the king's response when... When the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel saying, I'm going to send a man to you so that he can be healed of leprosy. Do you see how that king responds? And this, is, this, this response is really important for how we think about what God's doing with leprosy. Because that king, it just tells us what the expectation was in the Old Testament. He says, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends to me, a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. He thinks that there's a plot going on. He thinks that this is somebody's being sent to him to be healed from leprosy, and he's going to fail at healing him from leprosy, and then going to be at war with Syria. Because, you know, right now, everybody's at war with Syria. That's That's the king of Israel's response when somebody says, hey, I'm sending a man to you to be healed. Luke chapter 4 in the New Testament references this story. And it's a, it's, whenever you see the New Testament referencing an Old Testament story, it tells you how you should interpret it. Jesus is talking about this story. He's kind of trying to offend the Pharisees a little bit. He talks about two stories. He says, in the days of Elijah, there were many widows, but God only sent Elijah to one of them, a foreigner. And in the days of Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel, but God only healed one of them, Naaman the Syrian. I think this is also a really interesting story. When you know that, when you know what is said in Luke 4, where is this servant girl at the beginning of this story getting her information? The servant girl who has no name, 
We just know that she's an Israelite. She's a captive. She's living in the house of Naaman. And she says, basically, oh, if only Elisha were here, he could heal this. Luke 4 says nobody else got healed. She has some kind of faith. She has some kind of insight. She, has, she knows that Elijah is doing many works. Elijah's raising people from the dead. Elijah is miraculously feeding a hundred. Elijah's making the, the axe head float. This is one of many miracles that Elisha performs. But this is the only case of Elisha healing anybody from leprosy. According to Jesus, this is it. So I don't know how she knows that. I don't know why she makes that recommendation, but she does. It's also worth noting that even though Naaman's cleansed, because he's not an Israelite, because he's not a Jew, Elisha doesn't instruct him to go through any of these purification processes. You know, like our memory verse from Luke 14 that we just recited together. I'm sorry, from Leviticus 14 that we just recited together. Naaman doesn't have to go through that because he's not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. And then Gehazi with his treachery, with his deceit, with his greed, the leprosy falls on him. Now, I don't know exactly. There's there's some details that are left out here because Gehazi shows up later in the story. He ends up before the king telling about all of the things that that Elisha did. So I don't know if Gehazi is healed or not. Or if perhaps Gehazi is like in this passage where he's made all white. Text just doesn't tell us. But we know he gets leprosy, and we know he gets leprosy as a direct result of specific sins that he commits. There's another story in 2 Kings just a few chapters later, again during the days of Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 7, there's four lepers that are at the gate of Samaria. It's a, it's, a, it's a almost comic story in the middle of an incredibly tragic scenario. Syria is at war with Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom. They've been separated from Judah at this time. Samaria is their capital. And Syria has been besieging Samaria. And the siege is so bad that the people inside the town, they're eating donkey's heads and bird dung. And worse. This is where you have one of those women who comes to the king and says, oh, well, we ate my son today, and and my neighbor said we would eat her son tomorrow, but now she's hid him. You should do something about that. And doesn't even get how horrific that is. Well, that's the siege is so bad. It's so bad that there are these four lepers who are outside the gate like they should be. You know, they they would have been put outside of normal living circumstances with the rest of the people. They're outside the gate, and they talk to each other, and they basically say, you know what, let's go over to the Syrians, because what's the worst that could happen? They could kill us. I mean, we're going to die if we, if we go into the city. We're going to die if we stay here. Why don't we just go over to the Syrians? What's the worst that could happen? We're going to die. Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore... Let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So they go out into the camp of the Syrians. And they get there, and they find there's no Syrians. 
and they go into one of the tents and they feast on the food and they collect the goods, the gold, the silver, the clothes, and they go hide them. And they do that again to the second tent. They feast and they collect the goods. And then they say, this is not good. We should go tell the king. And so they go out to the edge of the city and they holler up to the wall and they say, there's nobody here. And everybody in the city is saying, well, this seems like a trap. But they're so hungry, they end up going out and they find that God had made the sound of chariots in the Syrians' ears so that they all fled overnight. But we don't know anything more about these lepers. We don't know, you know, according to Leviticus 4, I'm sorry, to, to Luke 4, they're not healed. But it's just, it's one of the stories. The next story we see in the Old Testament is Second Chronicles 26. It's also Second Kings 15. King Uzziah, king of Judah, he's one of the good kings. He's one of those who followed the Lord with his heart. He had a long reign. I think he reigned 50 years. But King Uzziah, near the end of his reign, tries to go inside the temple to burn incense at that inner altar. Remember how we've talked about there's, there's two altars at the tabernacle. Well, there's two altars at the temple too. There's the outside altar where you burn the burnt sacrifices, where you burn the parts from the other sacrifices. And then there's the, the altar that's inside the holy place, right before the most holy place. That's the altar where they burn incense. Nobody was allowed to burn incense on that except for the priests. And King Uzziah tries to act like a priest. He tries to go in there and burn incense at that altar. And the high priest and a whole bunch of other priests all come in there and they resist him and they tell him, no, this is not good. You should not be doing it. There are righteous priests in that time, which is, which is helpful for us because many times when we talk about the Levitical priests, we're talking about the ways that they're failing. They were doing the right thing here. They were actually behaving righteously and they were telling the king, you should not be in here. You should not be trying to do this. Don't do this thing. And while they're having this confrontation with him, while he's inside the temple, God strikes him on the forehead with leprosy. And all of the priests succeed in driving him out of the temple from there. And then he lives in isolation for the rest of his days until his death. And his son reigns as regent in his place. Again, this is one of those cases where we see somebody get leprosy, and when we see them get leprosy, they're getting leprosy as a judgment for particular sins. And that's it in the Old Testament. That's, that's the cases of leprosy, the specific instances where somebody has leprosy in the Old Testament. And then this story takes a turn. You get to the New Testament, and things are different first story we have of leprosy in the New Testament is in Matthew 8, when Jesus cleanses a leper. This is, this is one of those really sweet stories. The leper comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, and touches him, and he's made clean. Jesus tells him, see that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That passage that Jesus is talking about, that as the Lord has offered the gift that Moses commanded, that's our memory passage. That's the beginning of Luke 14. He's saying, go do this as a testimony to them.
given that we don't have any other, other evidence of any Israelites or Jews who are cleansed of leprosy in the Old Testament, it's possible, it's possible that this passage that we are saying over and over each week from Leviticus 14 never gets applied until the day of Jesus. It might get applied with Miriam. It's possible that Miriam's cleansed, but that's not entirely clear from the text. It's possible Gehazi's cleansed, but it's not entirely clear from the text. But in the Old Testament, you don't just have a whole bunch of people who are getting leprosy and getting cleansed from leprosy. And we know historically when people get leprosy, it's not a disease that you get cured of, not until the days of modern antibiotics. Even up until the early part of the 1900s, there were laws in the United States that if somebody got leprosy, you put them into a leper colony. They were isolated from the rest of the people because this wasn't a disease you got cured from. So when Jesus is telling this guy, hey, I want you to go to the priest as a testimony to them, he's saying, go to the priest. They're going to have to dust off a part of the Bible that they've never used before. They're going to have to go and they're going to have to see what what is this? You know how that king responded, the king of Israel, who am I? Am I God to heal and make alive? Well, guess what? When God comes, he heals and makes alive. He heals from leprosy. In Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples, and this is what he tells them to do. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So the picture in the Old Testament is when people get leprosy, they end up living in isolation. They live outside the camp. Their son has to reign as regent for them. Miriam gets put outside the camp for at least seven days. But Jesus comes, and now he's sending out, now he heals a leper, now he's sending out his disciples to heal lepers. I should be careful. It actually says cleanse lepers. In the next chapter, Matthew 11. This is that chapter where John sends his own disciples to Jesus. And he's asking, hey, are you the guy? Are you the one that we were waiting for? Or is it somebody else? And Jesus doesn't just answer yes or no. He says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So when Jesus wants to say, you know who I am. One of the things that he gives. Basically, he gives a list of impossible things. Deaf people don't just start hearing. Blind people don't just start seeing. Demons don't just leave. And lepers aren't just cleansed. Until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, all these impossible things just start happening. And, and he says, go say what you hear and see. These aren't things that are being done in secret. They're public enough that John's disciples can see what's happening. Luke 17, this was the passage that Noel read at the beginning of last week. This is about the ten lepers who are cleansed. 
And how it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there any who were, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Remember with the first case, Jesus healed one man and he touched him, which that's a really interesting thing in and of itself. We've already talked about this a lot in in our study of Leviticus and our study of Hebrews about how Jesus is a better high priest, how the high priests of the Levitical order, they couldn't touch dead bodies lest they be defiled by them. Jesus comes touching dead bodies and he's not defiled by them. They're made alive. Jesus comes touching lepers and they're healed. They're cleansed. But in this case, he doesn't even touch them. He just says, go. And so, so what I think is going on, the picture I have in my mind is they come and say, Jesus, you can cleanse us. Would you cleanse us? And he says, go your way, go to the priest. And on the way, something happens. And they look down and like, oh my goodness, my leprosy's gone. And one of them notices. And one of them comes back to Jesus and has this conversation where Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Again, Jesus is sending them to the priests. Jesus knows the law. He's telling them to obey the law. He's making the priests dust off those parts of the Bible that they haven't had to use. And notice that that section we read in Leviticus 14, it's not like a lot of the other sacrifices where you're using a pot and you have to do things over running water. It's it's complicated. It's unusual. It would stick out. So it's something you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to practice. And all of a sudden, it's a testimony to them. Jesus is here. Things are different. Things that did not happen in the days of the law, they're happening now. And the last case we have in the Bible of leprosy is in Matthew 26, where Jesus is eating at the house of Simon the leper. And it's, it's while he's at the house that the woman comes and anoints him with expensive perfume from an alabaster flask. And the disciples mumble among themselves and say, oh, this is expensive. It should have been sold and used for the poor. And so all we know is Simon the leper. I'm going to make an assumption here. I'm going to assume from the other passages that Jesus knows the law about lepers. He knows the law about how you're supposed to deal with lepers. And he wouldn't have been eating at the house of Simon the leper unless Simon the leper were cleansed. Because under the law, if Simon the leper were not cleansed, he's supposed to be living outside in isolation with his face bound and his clothes torn, shouting, unclean, unclean. But Jesus is eating in his house. Not only that, there, apparently there's a dinner party. There's lots of people there. So I think when we're talking about Simon the leper, I think it's appropriate to assume we're talking about a healed leper. So I want to draw some broad conclusions because I'm going to lean on some of these as we break into the text today. 
The language for recovery from leprosy through these texts uses both healed and cleansed, but by far cleansing is the more common term. Cleansing is the the heavier term that's used to talk about recovering from leprosy. I think this emphasizes for us that we're clearly supposed to think of leprosy as a picture. We're not necessarily supposed to think of leprosy in purely medical terms. God is not giving us these pictures about leprosy because his main concern is public health. God's giving us these pictures because he wants us to understand things about cleansing. Everything else we know about cleansing up to this point, everything else we've studied in Leviticus about all of the practices of cleansing in the, in the tabernacle, they're all very clearly talking about our sin. They're all clearly talking about how to be clean from our sin. They're all clearly talking about pictures of things and not just the things themselves. Next conclusion, there's a very curious intersection between leprosy stories and foreigners. And I confess, I don't really know what to make of this. It doesn't have to be that way, but in almost every one of the stories you see, the interaction is between an Israelite and a Jew and some foreigners. Almost all of the stories deal with it in that kind of way. Even from the very first one where Moses is supposed to show his leper's hand to a foreign king down to the story of Jesus who heals a Samaritan. Aren't you, you're the only, the foreigner came back? What happened to the other nine? And I don't know what to do with this, but it's so heavy in all the stories. I'm pointing it out to you because it might become relevant later. And maybe you have some ideas about this and you can say it during the comments, man. Next, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. The new covenant is superior to the old covenant. We say this many times, but here we have a case that's really clearly emphasized for us. Very vividly emphasized for us. The basic treatment of leprosy in the law in the Old Testament is that it's a disease for which the normal expectation would be to live in exile outside of society. The normal expectation if you got leprosy was that you would become an outcast. The normal expectation if you got leprosy is that it sticks with you until you die under the law. And then Jesus comes along Jesus comes along and the basic treatment of leprosy in the New Testament and in the New Covenant is that the lepers are healed. If you're with me on Simon the leper, then every story we have in the New Testament involving leprosy is talking about lepers recovering. That's not true in the Old Covenant. That's not true under the law. But when Jesus comes, everything changes. When Jesus comes, he pushes back the things as far as the curse is found. So with that as our introduction, with that, with that summary of leprosy, of the leprosy stories in the Bible, let's go to this text. Lest you think I'm stalling. Verses 12 and 13. 
And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has a sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider, and indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has a sore. It is all turned white, he is clean. I hope you can understand why this looks like a difficult passage, why this is a difficult passage. On the one hand, we spent all of last week talking about how leprosy signifies that a person's unclean. We spent all last week talking about how leprosy is a sign that God's judgment is on somebody and they are unclean and they need to be cleansed. And in lieu of cleansing, they have to live outside the camp in exile. We spent all last week talking about how if somebody has leprosy, this is a sign that they need church discipline done to them. The priests have to examine them, they have to make pronouncements, and then something has to be done. That was all the setup for last week. And we were not talking about somebody who had leprosy all over. We were talking about somebody who had spots of leprosy. And now you come to this text, and we're told that if somebody is completely covered by leprosy, that he's clean. Wouldn't it have been easier? Wouldn't it have been easier to interpret this if God just said, oh, if he's completely covered with leprosy, he's extra unclean? be an easier way to to interpret the text but God's not going to let us do that so what's going on here furthermore this is not the sort of clean that results from the end of a healing process the man described here in verses 12 and 13 he's not required to do any extra steps at the end of an examination We saw last week that if somebody was isolated and then determined he was clean, he still had to go wash his clothes. He still had to do these these acts of repentance, signs of repentance. This man doesn't have to do that. This man is just declared to be clean. Simpliciter. It's done. So how are we supposed to understand this? I was really hopeful that if you looked at the words, that you would find extra meanings, double meanings in some of these words, they would illuminate what's going on here. They would give some sort of sideways way of coming into the text. But when you look at them in Hebrew, they're basically what you think they are. Skin means skin, head means head, foot means foot, consider means consider, body means body, white means white. The only one that's a little bit different, the only one that has a little bit extra color to it is at the very beginning where it talks about if leprosy breaks out all over the skin. The breaks out there is literally flowering or blooming, budding, blossoming. Tuesday morning, somebody mentioned the fact that typically speaking, when you talk about a disease that's flowering, it's not a good thing. But, but that's, that's one word that's got some extra meaning to it. So here's a couple of possible solutions. I'm going to walk through some of the ways that we could handle this text, some of the ways that commentators have handled this text. And I think they're kind of right, and I'm going to tell you why they're not completely satisfactory. I want us to, when we get to the end of this, I want us to earn it. I want us to have worked hard to get to an understanding of this passage, because this is a hard passage. Number one, the specific disease that's being described here could be a different disease than leprosy. One of the ways that commentators come up with a solution for dealing with this is saying, oh, this disease is not leprosy. 
And they're thinking of it in medical terms. That, and, and I actually think they're probably correct. I think they're probably correct that, that if you want to say leprosy equals our modern understanding of leprosy, it equals Hansen's disease, then this disease, the, the presentation of the symptoms of this disease don't describe somebody who has Hansen's disease. Because when we talk about people, you know, in the modern day, we can look at somebody who has leprosy. We don't see them who, people who look like this. People who are white all over with no open source. That just isn't the way that leprosy as a specific disease develops. So I think they're probably right about that. Since this is not leprosy, it doesn't have the same set of concerns. Not the same set of concerns for the individual, not the same set of concerns for the public. We're not concerned about the communicability of the disease. We're not concerned about the way it's developing in the person. Remember last week we talked about the disease and that the main distinction that, that the priest is supposed to be looking for when he sees somebody who comes and something doesn't look right. Somebody's got a scab or an open wound or something. The point is, does it look like it's getting better or does it look like it's getting worse? But I don't think that that explanation captures everything. If we just say this is talking about a different disease, we're not capturing everything that the text is impressing on us to capture. Number one, it's downplaying the sameness that the text is forcing on us by using the same word to describe this condition. It still uses the, the, the word that's interpreted leprosy here is still used to describe both the things that we talked about through the first 11 verses and then here in these six verses. We're supposed to, you, the Bible has it in the same category. So if, if we're just saying, oh, let's talk about this in medical terms and put it over here in a different category, we're missing some of the things that God's impressing on us by saying it's the same. You know, think about it as the same. And even if, as is likely, it is a medically different condition, it's still put forward to us as a special case within the responsibility of the priests to evaluate. Another possible solution, another way of interpreting this, would be that this describes a state at the end of the course of leprosy, you know, normal leprosy, but this describes somebody at the end of a course of leprosy when the person is close to being healed. A lot of commentators from, say, the 18th and 19th centuries compare this description of leprosy covering somebody head to foot to things like smallpox and scarlet fever. And I don't know how correct they are about their descriptions, but what they say is that, oh, when you see somebody who's completely covered with smallpox, completely covered with scarlet fever, that that's actually a hopeful sign. It's a hopeful sign that somebody who's in that case, as opposed to having an acute spot somewhere in their body, that that person is more likely to survive. They're more likely to recover from the body. And so that maybe what this text is talking about is something similar to that. It's talking to, about somebody who's gone through the course of leprosy, has reached the end of, of the course of leprosy, and now they're being healed from it. I don't think this is satisfactory. 
the text does not give us any indication that we're supposed to think of this person as being at the end of the progression of a leprous infection. Indeed, we just dealt in the previous section with what old leprosy looks like when somebody comes and they've got old leprosy on them. They've got open wounds and so forth. So we've already talked about a case of somebody who has an advanced case of leprosy, and it's not described like this. Furthermore, it actually appears, this text, to be talking about a case where the condition has advanced. It's advanced to the point where it's flowered over the whole body. So we aren't necessarily to think of this as something that's to be in remission. This is something that's actually grown. It's grown to the point where it's covered everything. This isn't, we, we, and we've talked about cases of remission. That was one of the things that the priest looked at last week. They're supposed to look at somebody and look at somebody and see, is this getting better? Another one, this is what Spurgeon does, a few others. It describes a man who sees himself as covered all over with the defilement of sin. The argument runs something like this. As long as we treat our sins as minor and small things, as long as we treat our sins as isolated things, then we're unclean before God. But once we admit that we're sinful all over, then there's the opportunity for the grace of God to be working on us. Once we admit our total sin before God, once everything's all out there in the open, then before God, then once, once we understand that, then God can work on us. But as long as we try and treat sins like small things, like small spots in those first 11 verses. And, and my response to this is, well, that argument is certainly consistent with Scripture. If you think that your sins are small things that are okay all by themselves, if you think that you can tolerate small sins in your life, then that's a problem. That is uncleanness before God. If you think that you're anything except a sinner in all your parts and faculties, then you don't think that you need the grace of God. I agree with all of that. I agree with the argument. I just don't think that that argument is from this text. I don't think that you can get that argument from this text. Number one, the presentation of leprosy in the previous section wasn't talking about an indication of a person's ability to perceive their own sin. It was talking about how the judgment of God was exposing their sin. The judgment of God was causing things to be brought forward. It's not really talking about somebody's perception of sin. In those questionable cases, it was actually a good thing if the wound was fading, not if it was growing over the whole body. It was a good thing if the wound was fading, indicating that the body was going through a normal healing process. The last interpretation that I want to consider, and I think is basically right, is that it's describing somebody who has a sound internal constitution. The physical picture here is even though the person is completely overcome by this condition, from their head to the sole of their foot, anywhere that the priest looks, even though they're completely overcome by it, yet their immune system is functioning well enough 
that they're with able to they're able to withstand the plague without open sores, open wounds. I think this is basically right, and here's why. Remember last week how we learned that the, the literal meaning of leprosy is scourging. And that we, we kind of need that because as you go through, it's obvious that the word leprosy can't be describing everything that's called leprosy in these chapters. Leather goods don't get leprosy. They don't get Hansen's disease. Houses don't get Hansen's disease. But we're supposed to think of this as a category of, of scourging, of God doing something. And then consider the specific cases that we looked at when we did our survey of leprosy at the beginning here. We're supposed to take outbreaks of leprosy as the work of God. We're supposed to take specific cases of leprosy as the work of God. The pictures that we have in the Bible are God's doing something. So here's what I think is being pictured by this person, by somebody who has been so covered by leprosy that it covers them head to foot. That this is somebody who is so thoroughly scourged by God that he's actually purified. Somebody who's so thoroughly scourged by God that what you see is purity. This is Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they... Indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Or take Psalm 51. You know, we sung this one this morning. Hopefully you knew this is where it was going, but I hope you feel like it's been earned now to get here. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So this is what I'm thinking the, the picture is here. This is what I'm saying that the picture here is that if we look last week and we say the picture that we have is God's, God is scourging somebody and what's happening is it's exposing their sin. Now what's happening is God's scourging somebody and instead of exposing sin, instead of exposing sin, it's purifying them. It's making them whole. It's making them holy before God. That's what I think this picture is of somebody who's made completely white. So if that's right, 
if the if what's being pictured here is by the complete lepers, somebody who's experienced a scourging of God that brings purification, we still have to talk about what the priest is doing here. We're we're still in the first two verses, and we've only talked about one character. Now we've got to look at what what's going on with this priest. This person has to come before the priest, and the priest is very active in this passage. The priest has to look. The priest has to consider. The priest has to pronounce. The priest has work to do when they're evaluating this person. What does that mean for us? Well, the text is silent about how that person's brought to the priest's attention. But the priest is still very active in what he has to do with his patient. Let's go back to Hebrews 12. Go a few verses later than I was Read verses 14 and 15. It says, Pursue peace with all holiness. I'm sorry. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of, spring, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. One of the things that I've really appreciated as we've jumped over to Hebrews, as we've jumped out of Leviticus and we've jumped to Hebrews, is one of the things that Hebrews is telling us over and over is our joint responsibility for the salvation and sanctification of the fellow brothers. Take care lest any of you fall. We're supposed to be looking out for one another. And so when this person is comes to the priest or is brought to the priest. The text doesn't say how this particular person comes to the priest. But when the priest examines them, they do have responsibilities. They have to consider. They have to be careful. They have to look. They have to look thoroughly. And that's an interesting thing to meditate on. You know, when David says that he meditates on God's law, one of the things you realize when when you're stuck all week thinking about six verses of a passage is there are things not said in the text, but that are right there that are absolutely necessary and a little uncomfortable. Anywhere the priest looks first, consider what this would mean for the Levitical priest. Somebody comes into the priest and he's got leprosy head to foot it would not have been sufficient for the priest to look at his head, his hands, his forearms, feet and ankles, and say, yeah, you're good. That's not what this passage is letting us get away with. The priest is not looking at this person just saying, oh, yeah, you look fine on the face and you know, knuckles are okay. You realize what this text is implying. It's a little uncomfortable. It's a little distasteful. Last week I was talking about scabs. Now think about what this priest has to deal with. This person comes to the priest. This this person presumably wants to be declared clean. In order to be declared clean, what does the priest have to do? The priest has to look at everything. Anywhere the priest looks. The priest has to look at everything. The Levitical priests would have had to ask the person to disrobe. Now, what does that mean for us? If that's what the Levitical priests had to do, what's the application for us as priests in the New Covenant? 
Anytime you see the priest doing a job in Leviticus, you have to say, okay, so what's my job there? And that right application here is not asking for people to disrobe. But think about what we did last week. Think about how last week, as we went through all of these priest responsibilities, there are steps along the way in the process of church discipline in many different forms. How does that apply here? What does that mean for us? Well, it tells us, first of all, that if we get into one of these circumstances where somebody's brought, it does require us to be thorough in our examinations. It does require us to be thorough in our examinations. If somebody's brought before us as priests and we have to look at them and we see, hey, it looks like the scourging of God is on you, And we're asking the question, what's this scourging doing? Is this scourging making you purified or is this scourging making things worse? You can't just stop at the face. You can't just stop at the hands. You can't just look at the feet. You've got to be thorough. You've got to look at all the details. Remember last last Sunday night, we read that verse in Proverbs 18. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes to examine him. Well, you can't just say, oh, okay, I hear your story. Sounds good. You've got to make a thorough examination. You've got to be the neighbor who's willing to examine. We had to do this recently when, when dealing with the situation with the Arnett's. We were getting information from Mr. Arnett about what was going on with his church in Oklahoma. But it wasn't sufficient for us to just say, okay, thanks, Jeff. We got enough here. We're going to make a judgment. Sounds like you're right. That would have been unjust. We had to ask Mr. Arnett, hey, tell us a little more. This might sound uncomfortable. What's going on over here? We had to ask other people who were involved. Tell us information. What do you know about the Arnett's? So part of our responsibility when we look at this, when we have to do a church discipline situation, is you have to be thorough. You have to see, is what God's doing when he puts pressure on an individual who's brought before us, is that pressure making somebody pure, or is it making their sins exposed? Also, If God is making somebody pure, this gives us an expectation. We should expect an openness from that person. We should expect an openness from that person, a willingness for that person to be transparent and to allow an examination wherever needed. That's telling us. If if think about this case for the Levitical priest, if somebody walks into the priest and and they're they've got leprosy in all the extremities. And it all looks fine on the head and the face and the hands. And the priest says, okay, now I've got to look at your back. And the guy says, nope, I'm not going to let you look there. What's the priest supposed to do in that circumstance? He can't declare that person clean. You should expect the person who wants to be declared clean to be open and transparent. So you think about it as Levitical priests. You think about it as New Covenant priests. But also remember, when you see priests, when you see priests doing their job, 
Christ is the great high priest. What's the picture here? And now things get really uncomfortable. Because Christ is a priest who examines everything. He looks everywhere. He will pronounce clean or unclean based on what he sees. And he never gets it wrong. Remember we talked about that last week. Christ will never get his pronouncements wrong. And every one of us will stand before him someday for this examination, awaiting this pronouncement. Are we clean or are we unclean? Is the work that he's doing on us making us clean or is the work that he's doing on us just further showing our sin? How is he going to find you? Verses 14 and 15. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. For the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. So this portion takes us back to some familiar territory. This one's not not hard to deal with. Fits with last week very well. Last week we saw that raw flesh was an indicator of an old leprosy an advanced leprosy, perhaps a leprosy that was hidden and just brought to light. Perhaps it was hidden under the skin, perhaps it was deliberately hidden under clothes, but when you see raw flesh, the picture that you have is that there's that the body is not in the process of healing itself. Things are getting worse. And that when this person who looks white all over except has raw flesh start to appear, they're supposed to be declared unclean. They don't have to go through a period of quarantine. They don't have to go through a period of examination. Raw flesh is just, it's a sufficient sign that that person's unclean. There's two significant Old Testament passages that I want to consider alongside this one. The first one is in Deuteronomy 28.35. Deuteronomy 28, again, this is the end of Moses' life. This is where he is telling the blessings and the curses that will fall in Israel. The blessings, it's a relatively short list, but they're wonderful things if they obey God. But then when he gets to the curses and describes the things that will fall on the people if they fall away from God, he is very detailed, very creative. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The text is not specifically about leprosy. This could be describing any number of diseases. But certainly leprosy would be one of those diseases that would qualify as an instance of this particular judgment. And it says, from which you cannot be healed. Well, that certainly describes our understanding of leprosy in the Old Covenant. This isn't something that you expected to be healed from. The kings say, am I God? When somebody asks about healing from leprosy. God promises that some will be struck head to foot, but it's in judgment for those. It's not in purification. And then we see that in Isaiah 1. This is a passage I sent out on on the weekly email. Verses 5 and 6. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. 
the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment I think Isaiah certainly has Deuteronomy 28 in mind. I think what Isaiah is saying, God said this was going to happen. He said that this was a curse that would happen for rebellion, and it's happening. Do you see? It's God doing it. The picture here is a people who are struck by God, but instead of being purified, instead of being scourged like sons, instead of being disciplined, for them, instead, It's exposing their uncleanness, not purifying them. Why should you be stricken again, it asks. And the point is here that what further judgment is going to help you? What further discipline is going to make things better for you? You're already covered in wounds all over. What's another wound going to do? As the chapter develops, if you just keep reading verses down in Isaiah 1, you see things about how God hates their temple worship about instead of pleasing him, their temple worship is an abomination. Why is it an abomination? Because they're not clean. They're coming before God not clean, and God hates that. He doesn't want their Sabbaths and their festivals. He doesn't want their sacrifices. None of these things are pleasing to him if they're being brought by unclean people. How do we know that they're unclean? Because in verse 16, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. They're not clean. Clearly implied. And how do we know that they're not clean? They have head to foot open wounds. They have head to foot open wounds. They are not, they're not in the process of being healed. We talked about a wound is by itself, a wound is not a problem. A scab is a sign, yeah, that sin has affected you, but also a scab is a sign that your body's doing what it's supposed to. You're being healed. All of us, in some sense, have got those wounds of sin on us. The question is just, are they getting better? Are the spots being removed, or are the spots growing? And by the time you get to Isaiah 1, at the end of of when Judah's getting carried away into captivity, what Isaiah is saying is, you're sick all over, head to foot. Like our person here in Leviticus 13. Sick with leprosy, head to foot, with open wounds. And so we have a contrast. Either God's scourging is going to be revealing a man to be pure, or it is going to reveal the most disgusting things in his heart. These pictures you have when you look at at being struck head to foot is either it's going to reveal somebody to be pure, or it's going to reveal them to be sick. We've got one good case. We've got one good case study in the Bible. You've got the case study of Job. And that case is particularly helpful because we know that Job's sickness, the sickness itself, was not the judgment of God on him. It's because God had a bet with the devil. Have you considered my servant Job? And God lets the devil do what he will with Job. And all of Job's friends come and look at Job and say, oh, something must be wrong. Curse God and live. But we know in that particular case that that's not why the judgment's on Job. The judgment is revealing Job's righteousness. We also realize at the end of the chapter, Job's the man. God has rebukes for Job. 
but not for the way that he responded to the people who were rebuking him. And every one of us will one day have our examination. Every one of us one day will meet with God, will meet with Jesus the high priest, and we'll see what he's done with us. We'll see whether his scourging on us has revealed us to be pure or has instead exposed our sins and not bound them up in their open wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Verses 16 and 17. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean who has a sore. He is clean. There's gospel here. There's hope here. I don't know if this is realized during the time of the law. Perhaps there are cases we just don't have any instances of them. By and large, lepers are not cleansed under the law, but the law maps out what cleansing looks like. The law outlines that it's possible to be cleansed, even though it doesn't necessarily tell us the specific steps for that. The law, all of these things that we're looking at here for the, what the priests are supposed to be doing, It's not talking about the priests as physicians who heal lepers. This isn't how you make somebody better from leprosy. That's not what the law is doing for us. The law is saying how to judge it, how to deal with that, how to consider it. The law says how to consider it if somebody gets better. It doesn't tell you how to make them better. But we live in a better covenant. We live in a covenant where this sort of thing happens, where the open wounds close up and turn white, where sins are taken away, where God purges and we end up whiter than snow. We're not like that king in Israel. We don't have to wring our hands saying, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. We know that when God did dwell among men, that he showed who he was in a practical way, in a practically impossible way, by cleansing lepers. We know that there's a God who forgives. Notice in this passage, there's there's a fleeting but significant contrast from the beginning of the chapter. The beginning of the chapter says that the subject is brought to the priest for examination. If it looks like somebody has something that might be leprosy, that person is brought to the priests. Not here. Not in this verse. In this section, the subject comes to the priest. And this should tell us again, this should give us an expectation. Among other things, one of the signs of repentance, one of the signs of somebody getting better from sin and not getting worse, is that they are willing to be submissive to that examination. (coughs) They are willing to come back and be re-examined and see if they bear the signs of sanctification. And it's not necessarily a pleasant thing. It's awkward. But somebody who is getting better is willing to do this. So it's just a few words there, 
but it's different. You don't have to bring this person. They're coming of their own accord. In conclusion, 1 Kings 8, start in verse 37 and following. This is in the middle of Solomon's dedication of the temple, his prayer of dedication. And he prays to God, when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone, or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose hearts you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to your fathers. At least at this moment in his life, Solomon got it. Solomon understood that the real problem wasn't the external plagues. It wasn't the external sicknesses. It wasn't any of the other things that God might send on the land. The real problem was the plague in their own heart. And the real solution for that is to call out to God who can forgive because there is a God who forgives. applications for the text today I have our applications in a set of questions this week it just worked out that way first set of questions for you is be sure to ask who you are in this story and you might be multiple characters you might be playing multiple roles here are you the total leper are you the person who is completely covered where it's bloomed over your entire flesh? Are you the leper with raw flesh? Has your sin been exposed? Are you the priest here? The priest who has some responsibility to the body of Christ to do work, to examine. Who are you in this story? Second set of questions. If God is scourging you, How total is this scourging? Is it blossoming all over you head to foot? And what effect is that scourging having on you? Are you being purified? Or is it exposing ugliness inside you? Is it opening up your flesh? Or is it actually healing you? Number three. How do you respond to the sort of pressure that exposes your sin? We talked about the willingness of this person to be subjected to these examinations. How do you respond when something happens that exposes your sin? Number four, related. Do you have an open and willing attitude towards examination by fellow believers? Are you hiding anything, keeping anything under your clothes that makes it sound frightening to have this sort of total examination? Number five, 
when the responsibility of a, being a priest requires it, are you willing to perform a thorough examination of a brother or sister, no matter what it might uncover? Are you willing to look beyond just those things that somebody can easily show you? Are you willing to look at the things that might be harder to deal with? And lastly, are you ready for your examination? Are you ready to be examined by a great high priest? That is, he who alone knows the hearts of all the sons of men. Because he won't get it wrong. and You can't hide anything from him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text that you've given us. We appreciate the opportunity to be in this text, to think about things that are unpleasant, so that we might know more about ourselves, so we might know more about you, that we might understand our place in the world, which you've, the work that you've given us to do. We do ask that you would purify us, and that you would make us whiter than snow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.